page uh, 1023 in your church Bible. I'm going to be sharing from just two verses, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. And the reason I want to be, uh, take a look at these verses is because this morning at this service, we're going to be baptizing four candidates. They're right there in their nice white robes. All of these candidates, all four of them, previous to today, have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Their baptism today is simply telling us and telling the world publicly that they have already trusted Christ as their Savior. They've already believed in Him, and He took away their sins. And this morning, I want us to, by looking at 1 John 4, 9, and 10, we want to see the sort of the backdrop for these four baptisms that will take place. I also want it to encourage those of you who have already trusted Christ as your Savior. You have received the love of God at some time in the past. I, I hope that as you see these four baptized, as you hear their stories of how God brought them to Christ, it will remind you of how God's love has been poured out on you. I also want to make mention of these verses here as well, so that if there's someone here this morning who has not received God's love, uh, today would be a great time to receive uh, that love that God has for all of us, certainly for these four baptismal candidates. So let me read the text for you, and then we'll dive in. First John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What I'd like us to do is ask and answer three questions about God's love that we see the answers to in this text. Question number one, how did God show his love to us? How did God demonstrate his love to us? That's the, one of the, the, the uh, sort of the main focus of this verse, verse nine, if you see it there, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. What the writer John here is saying to us is that God showed his love to us. He didn't just say that he loved us. That is true. He didn't just say he is love. That is also true. He demonstrated his love. It says it was made manifest among us. He revealed his love. He demonstrated. He tangibly showed us. We also see that this love, the word love there, where it says the love of God, that love means that God loved us with a love that he knew what, what, what was best for us. He, the one who loved, said, I know, how, I know how the world needs to be loved best, and this is what he did. I think this is one of our problems with God. We want God to do what we want. We want God to love us the way we think we ought to be loved. But God loves us in the most important way. And that's what First John 4, 9 is telling us. The tangible way that God loved us, we see in the text, back to verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. That word sent there, it's also mentioned in verse 10, means that God intentionally directed Jesus, his only son, to go into the world. This was an intentional act that God loved us with. 
And then it says in the middle of verse 9 that God sent his only son into the world. That phrase only son means that Jesus was the unique son of God. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was fully God and fully man. And so what we see here is that God just didn't send someone else or some stranger in to help us. He sent himself. He sent his very person. He sent the very, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the unique son of God, fully God and fully man, was sent to earth for this mission to demonstrate God's love. And then, of course, we read in verse 10, and this is love. Again, God's love has been manifested. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son his only son, the God-man, fully God and fully man, to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is a big word, but that word means that Jesus, this God-man, fully God and fully man, came to earth, and what he did is he took our sins upon him, and he was punished for our sins. In other words, he became our substitute. He became our sacrifice. He was able to take our sin upon him, take the punishment that we deserved. He did it himself. This is what it means when this only son, this God-man came out of heaven to do this incredible work for us. Now, this is an amazing demonstration of God's love, don't you think? This isn't just saying he loved us. This isn't just saying I am loved. This is demonstrating in the most powerful, the most sacrificial way possible that God himself comes all the way out of heaven and lives the life that we should have lived. He dies the death that we deserved in order to demonstrate his love for us. I remember my dad was in a doctorate of ministry program. I never knew what that was. Uh, I was a little skeptical of it. It didn't seem like a PhD or a THD, but, you know, I was a D-man anyway. And then, well, he didn't disappoint me. He came back and he was telling us what he had learned in this class that he had gone to, doctoral level work. And he, he explained to the whole family, my sister was there, my mom was there. He said, I learned that a human being, in order to feel loved by someone else, needs to have five personal touches to feel loved per day. And then my dad, in an unbelievable act of love, went up to my mom and said, one, two, three, four, five, I love you. It didn't go over too well. That's not what God did to us. He didn't just say, I love you. He didn't just pat you on the back a little bit and I, 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 let me encourage you. What this text is saying is that God came all the way out of heaven in the unique son of God, fully God and fully man, and he lived the life you should have lived and I should have lived, and he died in our place taking the punishment that we deserved, and he paid it in our place. He sacrificed himself completely in order to rescue us. That's how God demonstrated his love for us. Now, there's a second question. Second question is, why did we need this love? Let's go back to verse 9. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest. We've looked at that. God sent his only son, the God-man, into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Again, this is the demonstration of that love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
The reason that God needed to love us in this tangible way by becoming the sacrifice for our sins is because we were sinners. All of us, the Bible says, every last one of us, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. No one does good, not even one, Paul says in Romans 3. And we kind of know this. I mean, most of us, I, I, meet, I meet very few people who think they are perfect. The few people that have told me they're perfect, they've got other problems, okay? We kind of know we're sinful, but we, we, we all kind of think that God's probably going to grade on the curve, you know? I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I make mistakes, but, you know, I'm, I'm not like the guy in the next cubicle next to me. That guy's he's a, he's a lunatic. Hey, you know, I, you know I, I may make some mistakes. I may not be all the person I need to be, but you should see my relatives. I mean, in my family, I'm the only sane one. That's not going to cut it with God. None of us are the people we ought to be. None of us do what God wants. All of us, all of us want to live our life on our terms without reference to God. Many times God is the furthest thing from our thoughts. It's not about God and his kingdom. It's about me and my agenda and my kingdom. And the scriptures say, because we have sin, we are all separated from God. We can't get back to God. We can't do enough to get back to God because we are all sinners. This illustration I'm about to share has gotten worse for me over time wasn't so bad when I was 12. But let's just say for the sake of argument, you only sin three times a day. Now, I know a lot of you pretty well. I know that's not true. Three is a very low number. But let's just say that you only violated God's standard three times a day. You would be a very, very good person. Well, that's a thousand sins a year. And now that I'm not 12 anymore, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's 50,000 plus. 50,000 sins. I mean, if you had 50,000 traffic tickets, you shouldn't be driving. If you had 50,000 felonies, we should be, have a prison ministry to go visit you. And somehow, in spite of the fact that we know we are sinners and we know we sin, and even if we only sin three sins a day, it's a thousand sins a year. If you're over 50, that's 50,000 violations of God's standard. Somehow we think that we won't have to pay and be held responsible for what we have done before God. And that's not what the Bible says. The reason God had to demonstrate this love by coming all the way out of heaven with his unique son, the God-man, to rescue us is because we were in our sins. I'll never forget, I was listening to a Bible, I was in a Bible class, I was six years old. The teacher was talking about how all of us have sinned, and I just, it's like God opened up my heart, and I saw my sin, and it wasn't pretty. I was disrespectful of my parents constantly. Basically, when my parents said to do something, I thought it was my job to resist authority, and I did it. My poor sister, she was younger than me, three years younger than me. I should have been the protective older brother. What I did to her, kidnap her dolls, hold them for ransom. I would extract things from her to get her dolls back. 
And then when my family got involved and discovered that I had a whole bunch of dolls in, the, in my room, I, I acted, I, I can't believe, how did they get here? I lied. And while this Bible teacher is explaining to me that we're all sinners, it's like God by his spirit opened up my heart. And even as a six-year-old kid, I realized I'm in deep trouble before God. I'm not good. That's why. God, in order to demonstrate his love for us, had to send his unique one and only son all the way out of heaven to bear the punishment that we deserved. It was the only way God could rescue us and love us because we were sinners. One last question. How do you receive God's love? How do I get this love? How do I get my hands on this kind of love? Let's go back to the text. Verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You get a hint of this, so that we might live through him. One of the ways that we, we receive God's love, it has to come through Jesus. It's through Jesus, this one and only son, where we can have life. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God. The message of the Bible is very clear. You can't earn God's love. These four baptismal candidates are not here today because they love God so much that now we're going to baptize them and put a white robe on them. Don't be fooled by the white robes. These are wonderful people. But they're wearing white robes, not because they're good, but because Jesus has taken their sin upon himself, and then he gives them his righteousness, so symbolically they can wear this, but not because they're righteous, but because Jesus is. So it's not that we loved God. We can't earn God's love. We can't perform for God's love. We, we, we can't be good enough to get God's love because we're sinners. That's why God had to demonstrate his love in this way to us. The Apostle John, who wrote these two verses in 1 John, also wrote the Gospel of John, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in John 3.16, the same author who wrote these two verses in 1 John 4 writes these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What the apostle is saying here, I can't earn God's love. I can't be good enough to get God's love. I can't perform for his love. I simply need to receive God's love by faith. And how do you do that? When you believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place. When you believe that you couldn't be good enough, but Jesus died in your place. And he rose again to show that his death was sufficient. You believe that what God did for you is the only way to get to God. That is when you can receive God's love. And he pours it out as a gift. It's all of grace. Now what I want to do... In just a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a prayer. A prayer that, very similar to the one I prayed when I was six years old and came to Christ. It's a prayer that many of us, including our four baptismal candidates, similar to the prayer they prayed. The issue is not the prayer. The issue is, does, is, is, is behind the prayer, the faith that lies behind the prayer. It's a prayer that expresses a faith and belief 
that the only way I can get right with God is through the shed blood of Jesus who was my sacrifice. And he rose again for my sin. And I believe him and I trust him, not myself. I trust him in what he did. That is the way we receive God's love, have our sins forgiven, and begin this new life. Now I'm going to recite this prayer for a couple different reasons. I kind of want to remind us, as this is similar to the prayer that our candidates prayed when they trusted Christ and they're publicly identifying with Christ today. But for those of you who have already trusted Christ, probably prayed a prayer similar to the one I will pray. I want this to remind you of how God has tangibly loved you. I know I'm the pastor of care. I know a number of you are facing medical crises of significant proportions. I know a number of you are facing relational issues in your own family or in your marriage or with your kids. I know that others of you have real economic and financial hardship right now. I know others of you have unanswered prayer that you've been asking God to do something that would be good, but he hasn't saw fit to answer you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're sort of questioning, does God really love me? Well, this is the love that's the most important way you could ever be loved. When you realize that even in spite of your sin and rebellion, in spite of the fact that you didn't want any part of God, that's how we all are, that God sent his son all the way into the world, who was God himself. God gave everything to us and sacrificed himself completely to bring us back to himself. Forgives our sin, gives us new life. Again, the text, remember the text said, so that we might live through him. And then the same Jesus who died for us is going to come back and fix the world when he comes again. And there will be no more sin, sickness, death, uh, and, and tears. He'll take all of that away. When you know that you are loved like that. Life is still hard. Oh, for sure. And there are many tears, of course. But when you know and are reminded of the love that God poured out for you on that cross, you can always know, no matter what you're dealing with, that you have a God who has loved you tangibly, in real time, in real life, in the most important way that you could ever be loved. And I hope that when I pray this prayer, those of you who already know Christ, it will encourage you and give you joy and peace even though you may be struggling and continue to struggle with very difficult things. Now, I also want to pray this prayer because there may be some in this room this morning who have never received God's love. Maybe you came in this morning and you thought, well, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm coming to church today. That's, isn't that what God's looking for? And, and you realize this from 1 John 4 and John 3.16 that that's not how you get right with God. It's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us. And if God is working on your heart, he's opening up your heart, you see your sin in a new way, and you see the love that God has for you in Jesus, this one, this unique son, who, the God-man who came to die in your place. If, you, if God opens up your heart now and, and you realize that, yes, you're a sinner, but you've got a Savior, and, and, and you, you get that love not by earning it, you get it simply by receiving it because it's a gift. You receive it by faith, believing what Jesus did. And stop trusting in what you're doing and you trust in Jesus alone 
on that cross and in his resurrection to save you. There might be some of you who've never received that love and maybe you would want to pray this prayer if it expresses the desire of your heart and receive that love even this morning. And if that's the true for you, I'd encourage you to talk to one of the pastors, talk to Pastor Matt, Pastor Jen, myself, or someone else. We'd love to help you in that new life. As the text said, as we've already read, it's in Jesus is how we know and how we learn to live through him. And it starts when we receive the love of God for the first time through faith. So let me pray this prayer. Let's bow our heads and then we'll move into our baptisms. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot earn your love. I don't deserve your love. I place my confidence in Jesus alone who died for my sin in my place and rose again to be my personal savior. I trust you alone for the forgiveness of all my sins. Thank you for this gift, this gift of new life, eternal life through Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.